Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and eventually there will be Japanese characters showing up on this Japanese bullet train, I think, eventually. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I'm looking forward to the American sequel to this movie, Amtrak Delay. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. It's time to get these mother flipping snakes off this mother flipping train. <laughs> Should have been snakes on a train. Yeah. Mm. Or snake on a train. Uh, those are, of course, all very oblique and vague references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Bullet Train, the newest film by David Litch, one of the co-directors of John Wick. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, before that, of course, we got some what we've been watching and a lot of film news. Uh, n- not only film news, kind of like industry news that was dropped this week that we're going to be talking about. Of course, Warner Brothers Discovery had a major investor call this week and a bunch of controversy has erupted around that. We're going to be discussing it. was a Maxpocalypse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A streampocalypse. Streampocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be talking about all of that in the opening segment before we get to what I've been watching. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Now, before we get going with any of that, a couple of quick announcements. First of all, uh, we, we've already talked at length about how the Patreon has allowed us to invest more time in the podcast and to really focus on it. And one of the ways in which we are going to attempt to do so is by launching a video version of the review segment of the podcast. Which We're pivoting now- to video. Indeed. Indeed. Nothing could go wrong with that plan. Yeah, that's it's always never failed well anybody. Every, every yeah. single entity that's ever pivoted to video has always uh-huh. found success and yep. never found any failure. So that's what's happening to the film cast. Uh, you can find those videos at youtube.com slash slash filmcast. We used to do live broadcasts. We're going to try to be putting out more polished uh, videos that are just the review segment for now. We'll see where it goes. We're dipping our toe in. And also, uh, you know, we're still like trying out the technical way, you know, the technological ways in which we're making these videos. So if the video doesn't go well, you're not even going to hear this segment in the podcast. Uh, I'm just going to edit it out. <laughs> but if you're listening to this, it means that the video did go well and you'll be able to find our review of Bullet Train uh, live at youtube.com slash slash filmcast. So- this is going to be a huge change because <laughs> I am going to have to pretend like I'm paying attention to what you guys are saying mm, now. It's so mm, true. It's, it's true. so true. It's Can't a, just close uh, your eyes and fall asleep. Yeah. You know, Can't just pull out yeah. the phone and start scrolling through Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or kind of, uh, you know, take a, a tape recorder and hit play on Jeff's best puns, which is what you often do <laughs> for our reviews. I think well, it's really, know, it's uh, we're finally going to capture all the eye rolls. Like, that's yeah. really it. All the sighs and the eye rolls during the reviews. <laughs> all the massive shaking of the head in yep, disagreement. Yep, yes. Yep. Yeah. So again, we're just tipping our toe in. We'll see how it goes. I, I'm really optimistic. I'm really excited about it. And uh, we hope you will subscribe and, and check out our reviews over at youtube.com slash the word slash filmcast. Um, legacy YouTube URL can't change it at this point. But S-L-A-S-H uh, filmcast. Yes, yes S-L-A-S-H uh, filmcast. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but a, a big thanks to our patrons who uh, support this podcast, make it possible and allow us to invest further in the show. So uh, that's one big announcement. Another big announcement is, hey, I don't know if you guys noticed uh, a bunch of stuff dropped 
uh, in theaters and on streaming in the last week. And uh, and not only that, the rest of August is pretty bare when it comes to major releases. So uh, <laughs> we decided to spread out uh, some of the reviews we're doing for the next couple weeks. Uh, so this week we're reviewing Bullet Train, which is the number one film in America this week. Uh, but we got a lot of questions about whether we're reviewing Prey, the new Dan Trachtenberg movie that just hit Hulu. Uh, and I guess I should talk about this right now real quick because I'm probably not going to want to talk about it next week on the podcast. But uh, a lot of questions as to why a movie like Prey, directed by Dan Trachtenberg and based off of a hit franchise, uh, went straight to streaming. Uh, and I think my understanding is there was a deal that was in place where any Fox movie that was released theatrically Mm-hmm. Uh, had to go to HBO Max. Uh, and then the Disney-Fox merger slash acquisition occurred, and Disney made the calculation, hey, we'd rather this go to Hulu, and in order to do that, we cannot release it in theaters. Um, so the decision was made to move it straight to streaming. Uh, you know, I think, I would personally say, I think it could have had a very healthy, strong theatrical sure, release. Sure. Um, so it's a little bit of a bummer that it's straight to streaming, but... Uh, we are really excited for our friend and colleague Dan Trachtenberg's new release. We will be making it our main review for next week's episode of mm-hmm. the Filmcast. And N- not enough yeah. bullet trains in Prey, you know? So that's why it's on streaming. <laughs> yeah, also, unfortunately. Not a fan of the director. Mm. <laughs> the director is like borderline at best, you know? So yeah. I-, I understand. I understand. Re- but- reluctantly, we're covering it. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, you can look forward to our review of Prey next week, and there might be uh, some special surprises next week as well, especially if you're a patron at patreon.com slash film podcast. So anyway, look forward to all of that next week, but that's going to be our review next week. Just wanted to let people know there will be a Prey review on the Filmcast. Look forward to it. Okay. Let's get to the film news that happened this week. And... I, I mean, I think there's there's three major things I want to cover, right? And I, I let's get into it by talking about the Batgirl cancellation, because I think that's when we first started hearing inklings that, wow, uh, major changes are afoot at Warner Brothers Discovery. Now, for sure. some, some minor background for you in terms of what's gone on with Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, one of the legacy studios, um, has produced some of the best films and TV series of all time. Uh, they own HBO and you know they, they're like a, a, a major force for good in the cultural landscape. Uh, at least they have been for a really long time. Not perfect. They've had some missteps. But overall, I've been a really big fan of Warner Brothers. You know, a, a lot of uh, Christopher Nolan's movies have been through Warner Brothers. Um, so big, big fan of Warner Brothers. Uh, they were acquired by AT&T, who thought that uh, AT&T could synergize. They could synergize the content. And then, like, after I think about 18 months, they're like, okay, this is way too expensive. We don't want to do this anymore. We can't synergize this shit. <laughs> it's unsynergized this whole time. No synergy yeah. happening. It's Those crazy Warner siblings are just ruining everything over at AT&T. Mm-hmm. Can't stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, at is like, okay, well, we can't do this. Anymore. <laughs> this is a hot potato. We can't do this anymore. Oh, man. So they sold it off to Discovery Plus. Uh, or Discovery, I should say, uh, which is run by someone named David Zasloff, the mastermind behind Discovery's current strategy. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh-huh. the Discovery Channel used to be a place where one could go to be enlightened. You could discover you know? things. Yeah. <laughs> there was actual discovery there. There was yeah. actually discovery going on. Um, it has Instead of discovering become... the things that revile you about our culture. <laughs> It has since become the home of shows like 90 Day Fiance and Aliens and Pyramids and things mm, like, you know, mm. basically just the worst 
that yeah. society and culture has to offer. And the guy who masterminded all that now owns one of the most hallowed uh, studios in all of cinema history. Uh, and so he doesn't have an easy job. Let's be honest about that. He has promised $3 billion worth of cost savings because Discovery is loaded with debt. And so he's got to make a, a bunch of cuts. He's, he's been cutting things left and right. And one of the things that has been cut is the Batgirl movie that was being filmed, was already, principal photography was already yeah. completed. 90 million. Done. 90 million. Yeah. In, 90 million dollar invested. Film. Um, Leslie Grace, who was in In the Heights, uh, was playing Batgirl. The guys who directed Bad Boys for Life and and several episodes of uh, Miss Marvel, Marvel, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yeah. Um, and we love Bad Boys for Life, like surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, really fun film. Bilal Falah and Adil El Arbi, they were the directors of Bad Boys for Life, the top grossing film of 2020. Uh, with a huge asterisk next you know, to it. Yeah, l- low bar, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, th- these are basically, these are not like unknown directors that have not done mm-hmm, anything before, mm-hmm. right? They, they've proven themselves with yes. the franchise and now they're striking into something new. Yeah. Dave exactly. has refused to watch Ms. Marvel, but it is yeah. very well directed. <laughs> yes. I, it is It is on my list. I, I am, it, I'm planning to watch. I, I seriously am planning to watch it. Uh, and so it was canceled. Uh, and the reason was because of a tax. It was it was uh, more profitable to write it off as a tax write off than to this actually the, let it run on HBO Max. That's the that producer's the uh, view of 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 movie making, where uh, <laughs> it's more you know, we need a failure. See, we need uh, the taxes are better if the movie <laughs> fails and never comes out. You're talking about the musical, the producers, right? Not, no, not I'm the talking producer. about the film upon which the musical was based, upon which that film was then based. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> okay, sorry, a I apologize. Subsequent film. I apologize. Yes, the but the film, the producers, right? Um, Mel Brooks's classic film slash musical slash film again. Now, I'm actually of two minds about this because, on the one hand, uh, one of the things that was announced is that uh, at the investor call for Warner Brothers Discovery is they are doubling down on the theatrical experience. You remember in 2020, all the uh, Warner Brothers theatrical movies went straight to HBO Max. That was awesome as a consumer, but it meant that a lot of those movies didn't make as much money as they might have. Mm-hmm. And so David Zaslav this week said, hey, we're we're doubling down on theatrical. Like We're going to have the theatrical window back. It's going to go back to the way it was, which I actually think is healthy for the industry. But the way in which it is playing out... <laughs> Is so terrible. Like he is, he does he DGAF about yeah, creative yeah. people, about talent. Apparently, they were told the directors of of Batgirl were told that the movie is being shelved, never seen. It's not going to be able to be watched on HBO Max. Not going to get a theatrical release. Uh, they were told at their we- one of their weddings. You're at your wedding. <laughs> love it. Love it. And you're like this thing that you've been working on for the uh-huh. last That's nine it. months. That's it was an, actually a toast, right? Yeah, I was at the say, that's a really yeah. awkward best man speech. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, by the way, the studio that released Suicide Squad, a movie that I I I, I declare is barely a movie. You know, like <laughs> it is an incoherent mess of scenes. Um, has decided not to release this movie, which and, I, and this is, is the movie that got. Michael Keaton back in yeah. a Batman outfit. Mm-hmm. People would Come see it on. just for that. Just for that. Come on. Yeah. Uh. So I, I think there were initially rumors that, mm-hmm. oh, the movie wasn't screening well. The movie was bad. That's all bullshit. That's all spin, mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. opinion. Like, we, we all, we've all seen some of the worst movies that Warner Brothers has to offer. Yes. And they yes. had to be worse than Batgirl, right? Uh-huh. So I think it is purely a business reason. And ideally, when this happens, like the way you want to do it is David Zasloff, head of the studio, should be calling these guys, you know, 
personally and saying, hey, FYI, sorry, you know, them's the breaks. We got to do this thing. I apologize. Here's another $5 million to work on our next thing. You know, like this on the day of my daughter's wedding. Exactly. But the way in which it's happening is like, I think they're finding out via social yeah. media, or via yeah. like their friends. It's, it's not happening in the right way. And it's very clear that the new heads of Warner Brothers Discovery do not give a shit about the creative people working for them. This I is think. a studio that gave Zack Snyder, what, $100 million? To seven, re, re- it was around seventy million dollars. I, I think the so. so there were like updated rumors. So I think initially we heard seventy million, but now a lot of people are saying like close to hundred million. Mm. So I've mm. seen both figures. Either way, basically the budget of this movie to fix, you know, to fix a movie that was already critically panned. So but see the difference there though, Vindra, is that that one had a Batman in it. It's true. <laughs> this one also the, had a Batman in it. You, you, you say true. that jokingly, but I think the optics are terrible for this. It's awful. Right? Like it's you have yeah. these uh, Moroccan filmmakers well, who with a uh, uh, a person of color in the lead role, mm-hmm. and it is just being shelved with evidently with no it, ceremony at all. They're it's canceling terrible. Supergirl as well, the mm-hmm. Supergirl movie, the super. So it's like literally, it really is yeah. that. Guys, they canceled Scoob. Nothing. Scoob. Nothing is Scoob. sacred. Scoob to Holiday Haunt is being canceled as a result. How are we going to get our Holiday Haunts in this year without Scoob delivering them? Mm. I read this very sad story about Scoob Holiday Haunt. Uh, the producer, Tony Servone, uh, shared a photo of the score for the film being recorded. Oh, yes. Uh, after the <laughs> announcement had happened that the movie was being canceled because the musicians and the stage had all already been paid for. Yeah. <laughs> you're literally you're literally performing into a black hole. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you are cre- mm-hmm. the, like all those people knew that what they were doing that day will never be seen by other people. Amazing, amazing. It's, they it's almost like, had a movie here if it wasn't for this lousy studio head. <laughs> These meddling <laughs> studios. Uh, the quote on the Instagram post was, what do you do when the movie's canceled, but you've already paid for the stage and the musicians? You record the damn score, end quote. I can't wait for somebody so, to leak these movies. Like, they're going to yes. be leaked. If the Wolverine, if the, uh, what, what what was that? X-Men Origins Wolverine. If that was, you know, out there, somebody's going to leak it. And uh, I want it to go, like, everywhere. Well, yeah. I'd be surprised if these directors don't leak it themselves. Seriously. They seem yeah. ticked. They, they released uh, that screenshot of Michael Keaton. And <sighs> uh, I, just, I was like, oh, come on. With the Michael Keaton playing Batman thing, it would at least have been interesting. Are you mm-hmm. kidding like, me? It would have been a e- massive moment. Even if, it for... was ter- if it's a terrible movie, which I'm not saying it would have been, like just the inherent value of Michael Keaton as Brendan Fraser's in the movie too, yep. yes. like, as the villain. Yeah, it's like oh my god. Like <sighs> and so uh, and this uh, whole cancellation set off uh, film Twitter into a whole conversation around yeah. how important physical media is, how important getting a copy of all your stuff is. Uh, and I think that, yeah, what, I, I'm hoping one day there will be a leak of this thing. You mm-hmm, know, Deadpool, mm-hmm. that's how the Deadpool thing happened was they leaked footage from Deadpool and then eventually they decided to make that movie. And uh, it's possible that Batgirl might go down the same path. Maybe they'll leak some footage of Batgirl and people are like, you got to release this thing. And they'll realize, oh, hey, maybe we shouldn't have taken that right down. Maybe mm-hmm, we shouldn't mm-hmm. have pissed everyone off. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Th- this whole thing, by the way, started a, a spiraling a film Twitter, the likes of which I have never, <laughs> never really seen because I, I'm on paternity leave this month. So I'm kind of, I'm a little checked out from the news. I'm not like following everything every day and writing stuff. So uh, yeah, people are basically saying like HBO Max is, is dead. Like mm. uh, all, all, all uh, dramatic stuff, like all scripted shows and movies will be gone from HBO Max. And 
it turns out that's not true, but it's certainly bad. It's not great. Yeah, for yeah. This, so uh, let's talk about that in a little bit. But first, let's take a quick break to thank one of our sponsors. We'll be right back with more conversation about what's going on over at Warner Brothers Discovery. Hey, I got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, ClickUp. Imagine having an extra day every week. More time to cook healthy meals, work on your novel, or just binge some really good TV. Oh, man. I would do that. I would sleep. I think with an extra day a week, I would sleep and read books. Read books. Oh, man. that's I want to read more books. Whatever the case, now it's all possible. With ClickUp, the productivity platform that'll save you one day a week on work, guaranteed. ClickUp began with the premise that productivity was broken. There were too many tools to keep track of, too many things in entirely separate ecosystems. There had to be a more productive way to get through the daily hustle. ClickUp is the one tool to house all your tasks, all your projects, all your docs, all your goals, spreadsheets, and more. ClickUp is built for teams from one to over a thousand. It's packed with features and customization options that no other productivity tool has. So you can work the way you work best. Whether you're in project management, engineering, sales, marketing, or HR, ClickUp has easy-to-use solutions that create a more efficient work environment. Join the more than 800,000 highly productive teams using ClickUp today. Use promo code FILMCAST to get 15% off ClickUp's massive unlimited plan for a year, meaning you can start reclaiming your time for under five bucks a month. Sign up today at ClickUp.com and use code FILMCAST. Hurry, this offer ends soon. That's C-L-I-C-K-U-P.com, promo code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. So, Devendra, as you indicated, uh, s- some really not happy news around uh, mm-hmm. what's going on with HBO Max this week. I mean, first of all, the b- the big news is that HBO Max and Discovery, as announced on the Warner Brothers Discovery Investor Call this week, will be combined into one mega Voltron streaming service sometime in summer of 2023. So HBO Max, as we know it, is probably going away, is my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows what the new thing will be called? I wanted to ask you guys, like, you know, Jeff Kanata, you're, you're a master of puns. What do you think the name of the new entity will be called? Uh, Dis- Disco Max. Disco Max. Disco Max. Yeah, Disco you gotta, Max. You got to keep the HBO branding in there, though. So HBOvery, HBOvery. I mean, I'm hoping that you know, I'm hoping that somehow Peacock gets involved, so it becomes Max Cock. Yeah, I do know that, Jeff. Discover Max Cock. We're five years old. Yeah. Hey, you asked. <laughs> so who knows what the new thing is going to be called? It might have elements of the HBO branding. It might not. Um, but what is clear is that uh, they have, I mean, since the Warner Brothers Discovery merger, they have canceled so many sort of Turner Media productions. Like Full Frontal well, that- with Sam B has been canceled. Joe, uh, The Joe Parra show has been canceled. Uh, a bunch of the DC stuff has been canceled. Uh, it, it does really feel like the focus is going to be unscripted. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like mm-hmm. th- that's oh, yeah. the most profitable stuff. That's what stuff. makes all the money. It that's makes, all, makes the all the money. money. It's super cheap to make. Um, who cares about these stories yeah. and these characters? Like it doesn't crafting something over what? many how, how hours you? when you could just turn a camera on and let people be idiots. Come on, what? but I think get out of here with that, Jeff. Get out of here. What's really astounding is that they are basically disappearing things that have already been made, and I'm just like, it, it feels like uh, you know, Zaslav is uh, gaslighting us at this point. Like uh, <laughs> vinyl, just gone. Yeah. Oh wow. Run. Yeah. Mrs. Fletcher. I like okay. I love the first season of Mrs. Fletcher. Would have left another one. Doesn't yeah, exist yeah. I, anymore. I, I mean, I mean, run being off a of service actually is, <laughs> is actually a service for you know the, the <laughs> you culture, know, service but, for everybody. Hey, but, but, that first but everything was else good. I agree is outrageous. <laughs> their 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 whole you know uh, that movie Moonshot that just came out, an American pickle, which seemed like a weird thing that even existed, but hey, a weird Seth Rogen experiment. Um, just like all these things, the witches remake, all these things just disappear. You can't you cannot get them anymore. The real crime about all this is that hbo max started shitty yeah and it would have been fine to lose it then but that it crawled into my heart (laughs) you guys it 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 became a must an essential streaming service it became one of my favorites and now they're taking it away come on i agree it is become one of the essential streaming services which is really hard to do it's really hard yes to go from not existing to being like one of everyone's favorite right. streaming services. Well, not but, but also and then existing bad. Yeah. You know, where yeah, no one yeah. cared. We all made fun of it when it launched, remember? But be, being HBO, like having all the HBO shows and stuff, like that was a big thing. And then they had all these other, like they have all the Studio Ghibli movies and stuff. Like that, the, it kind of built itself up into something good, but it helped that it was basically HBO again, even though the launch was bad. Yeah. Yeah. And my my sense is that like HBO Max as a brand might be going away. Like right now we have HBO that will stay. Mm-hmm. That continues to be profitable and maybe they'll make like five shows a year or whatever, who knows. Um and I mean more than that, but you know, not not as many as they're currently cracking out now. And then HBO Max, there's a bunch of like HBO Max originals, right? And the big question is what's going to happen to those. So I think uh shows like Our Flag Means Death and mm-hmm. starstruck Th- those are the ones that are really in jeopardy right now i think right like those ones that aren't hbo originals um that aren't necessarily winning a ton of awards mm-hmm. um and that are pretty niche in terms yeah. of their appeal those are the ones that n- nothing is safe right now if they can kill an already completed batgirl movie um you know they can call back a our flag mm-hmm. means death season two renewal announcement yeah. think, nathan right? fielder building entire buildings you know, like, I, I don't know. Will we see more of that? I think that line? is. Yeah, I, I, I would agree that that's probably not going to happen anymore. Yeah. But um, but that is an HBO show, I think. Yeah. Um, so uh, so HBO, I think they're still going to potentially invest in. But this is real. What we're seeing, right? And, and you know, we'll, we'll see it play out over the course of next year. Maybe it's still going to be good, guys. Who knows? But it really does feel like what we're seeing is what happens when the company that made The Sopranos and Game of Thrones and Sex in the City is taken over by the company that made Here Comes Honey Boo Boo and 90 Day Fiance, right? Like that's, it's that is what happens. Um, there was a quoting deadline a while ago that's like, it really feels like uh, the people who own McDonald's like came into ownership of a Michelin star restaurant and now feel like they, <laughs> they know how to run the place. That's uh-huh. kind of, yeah. uh-huh. If you view everything that happened last week through that lens, it all makes complete sense, you know? Uh, and it's a huge, bu- it's a huge bummer. As, as people who like quality TV and movies, it's a huge bummer. But um, this so. comes after we've talked about the Netflix and how they're kind of flailing right now too. Like this whole industry is just like in free fall. It kind of feels like who, who knows where things are going to go in a couple of yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
uh, Netflix invested in streaming and streaming took over the industry and everyone's like, let's put all the money in streaming. And actually, that's another thing I wanted to mention is uh-huh. um, the reason why we're seeing all this flail right now is because of basically corporate ownership changing hands, right? Somebody, mostly Jason Kyler, it's ba- the, the, everything we saw this week is basically a repudiation of Jason Kyler, right? Jason Kyler had all these ideas. Put movies on streaming day and date. Make a Batgirl movie and put it straight to streaming, right? Like, he had all these ideas. Uh, Make a CNN Plus that has lifestyle programming for some reason. Um, (sighs) And literally every single one of those decisions has been wound back now that it's a new new ownership. So, Mm -hmm. And and it's the creative people that uh, bear the brunt of the cost, right? They are the one who are investing their time, their energy uh, into these projects, and they're just getting completely killed with no ceremony at all, uh, with no sense of how to handle creative people. Um, I, I feel bad for all the people that, uh, you know, I, I, I guess they still got a paycheck, but their futures are very unclear at this network right now. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's sad to me when corporate shenanigans impact uh, creative people and the creative output to this degree. Especially it's very when it's rare like for it purely yeah. illogical too. like, th- that's the main thing. Like, I, it feels like Zaslav coming in here and just like kind of uh, reshaping things into the way he sees it. And not the way the the actual fans and you know the people working for this uh for this network actually want things I, to be. I have I have one minor ounce of sympathy for Zaslov, which is that he has a hard job. Like it is expensive <laughs> making all these shows that not necessarily tons of people are watching or signing up for your service to watch. And so he's gotta save a lot of money. But the way in which he's doing it, I do not condone. For sure. You know? Um and so I, I agree he's gotta cut if you're looking at 90 Day Fiance and you're like, wow. <laughs> This show generated X million dollars for us. And you're looking at, you know, uh, a show like Our Flag Means Death. And this show generated like way less money and costs way more than 90 Day Fiance. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I can understand why someone would make the decision. We're going to invest in what's perversely called the 90 Day Fiance universe. Right. Like if you're if you're already running a network that is settled with that, why why are you acquiring another network? Like, why why are you even doing this deal? mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. like those sorts of things don't make sense to me. Well, he's playing the game of thrones davindra and sometimes when you play the game of thrones you got to uh kill off the old regime uh that was in the That's country beforehand like. Yeah. like yeah yeah, yeah. he he is like systematically you know so, some men desire power and ownership and uh that seems to be what he wants without the uh the quality that comes with uh, what he acquired unfortunately so okay the world the must thing- be honey boo booed you know <laughs> he will not rest until everything is honey boo booed. Until he honey boo boos everyone. Mm-hmm. There is one final thing I want to mention, which is uh, he has announced that the Warner Brothers is going to have a 10 year plan for the DC universe. Oh, good. Um, so the plan is to have a plan. Now, I, 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 <laughs> guys, what if we had a plan? I, I've solved all our DC problems. Now, he, here's the thing. Here's a hot take for you. Uh-huh. Is I think the DC universe has actually been at its best when they haven't had a plan. Sure. Like, no, yeah. they, they had a 10-year plan. It just wasn't in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I remember, you know, with the whole Justice League and Batman v Superman, like, those are the darkest times of the mm-hmm, DC mm-hmm. universe. But then you've had a bunch of great stuff. Aquaman, Wonder Woman, um, the Batman, Joker. The, the like, first Wonder Woman, but yeah. Yeah, yeah the first, uh, agreed, agreed. But uh, the Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, you've had all these movies come out and they've all been actually really good. Uh, and some of them have done really well at the box office. And For so sure. Shazam's part of that. Shazam, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So 
So I actually think they're best off when they don't have a plan, but everyone wants that Marvel money. You know, everyone wants <sighs> that Marvel extended universe cash. The problem is, from what I can tell, Zaslav does not give a shit about um, minor secondary characters in the uh-huh. uh, in the DC universe, right? Like, all he cares about is the Batman, the Wonder Woman. Like, who can we make the most money off of, right? Like, I don't think he cares about Blue Beetle. You know, I don't think he cares about the smaller characters and you really need to care about all the stretches of, you know, all the, you need to care about the eternal, the equivalent of the Eternals (laughs) of that universe in order for it to be really successful and long lasting. I think go ahead. In his defense, we didn't get to the Eternals until Mm -hmm. 10 years in either, Mm -hmm. you know? So I I guess, but was Iron Man real? Like, you know, you know, Marvel was missing some of the best characters when they yeah. started the Marvel Universe, right? Like, they were missing their Spider-Man and their Fantastic Four. And they yeah. made do with, like, your Iron Mans and your Thors, you know? Right. And they already have the Spider-Man of the DC Universe, which is Batman, basically, right? Uh, or Superman. And so the, the problem is I don't think he cares about the other ones, right? Uh, yeah. He doesn't care about the equivalent of Thor in that universe. But what does it matter if you can get Lady Gaga in your next Joker movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know. I mean, are you guys, do you guys have any faith? I, I, I mean, Jeff, do you want to see a DC universe that is as well put together as the Marvel universe? Or like, what, what is it that you are looking for from DC these days? You know? No, I mean, listen, I, you know, I've never been a DC guy anyway. I was a Marvel zombie from way back. And, and I, I don't crave the, you know, the, uh, um, Justice League, like I crave the Avengers. I have said a, a number of times, why don't even play the Marvel game? Mm-hmm, like, just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do do your own thing. The Batman is an awesome movie. I loved the Batman. You can make these bespoke, interesting, little, cool superhero movies if you want. You have a stable of characters that are interesting. It doesn't have to all overlap and make sense. It doesn't. It, it adds a level of difficulty and expectation that it just seems to have crushed them their first try at it. Mm-hmm. And why not do much more interesting swings? The Batman doesn't work in a world where Superman exists, right? Like that doesn't make it, it that movie fundamentally doesn't make any sense in a world where there's a Superman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's okay. Why is that? Because Superman would go around solving all the crimes? Is that what you're <laughs> no, just because that version of, of, of Batman is, is very, very, crunchy and grounded and real and mm. like it's not mm. you know there, yes there's crazy uh, uh computer contact lenses in that movie but that's about <laughs> as far as we get as in, mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a very um it's a very grounded uh street level take on that character and yeah just let it, it, it is be- the most grounded version of that character we've had in decades even more yes. grounded than chris nolan's version correct mm-hmm. and and i don't you know, I, it doesn't need to have. Oh, by the way, there's also this alien who lives lives in our world. You know, it just it doesn't need <laughs> it doesn't need to be weighed weighed down by that. Like, let there be a great figure out what's awesome about. Do a Superman movie. Are you hearing me? Listen, listen, executives, listen to this <laughs> next sentence. Do a Superman movie. Uh huh. Set in the 1940s. What? 1930s even yeah the the timeline every child has been waiting to see just no do it where it makes sense that he works for a newspaper where newspapers Mm. make sense where you can put Mm. him in a phone booth like do do make it like invest in 
the mythos of this character. He doesn't have to be <laughs> postmodern Superman. Make mm-hmm. him iconic and and relevant and harken back to this spirit of truth, justice in the American way. And like that's why not try that as a movie? It yeah. doesn't have to link together with all the characters. They don't all have to be together in modern times. Let each movie have its own identity. Have you been watching that new show, Jeff? Because that seems like it, it is the earnest, you know, uh, t- t- very, very like uh, lovely Superman. Yeah, what I've been I hearing. Mm. Um, I, I will say, I, I don't, I don't care about like specific timelines or strategy. It's more like get somebody who likes these characters. Like, here's <laughs> mm-hmm. the thing: Kevin Feige loves all the Marvel people. He is a Marvel dork. Like, he's yeah. been attached to the to, to the Marvel studios since the X-Men movies were getting made, like the original ones. So, you know, I, I don't think Warner Brothers ever had ever had somebody like that on the DC side. Like, it was basically Zack Snyder kind of pushing it through Man of Steel, and that vision of Superman is so, like, so weird and so, like, uh, against the, the ethos of, like, whatever I thought Superman was before. Like, it, it wasn't yeah. about saving everybody. It wasn't about protecting everybody. It wasn't about the greater good. Let them was, let yeah. them die. Let, let them, them die. die. That's kind of what, <laughs> that's the message of that movie. I mean, obviously, he, like, he he changed, you know, he comes to a different conclusion at the end of the movie, but, like, but it's it's upsetting that that's a huge part of what that story mm-hmm. is. Um, and, and that kind of shaped the rest of, like, what DC kind of ended agreed. up doing. Agreed. It's yeah. a very dark vision of well, it's this sort of, of post nine eleven vision of 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 great power, it, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. and 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 that's not when that character was conceived or what it was about. It was it was it's a universe in which you know good is good and bad is bad, and never the twain shall meet. And we and it's it's righteous and it is noble, and you can make a movie like that. Like it can feel like that. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be postmodern and and doer and I and mean moribund. Yeah. I, you know, I, you, uh, <laughs> Go ahead, Devinger. Go ahead. You you could actually set a Superman story in America today. It would basically <laughs> be Superman versus white nationalists. <laughs> like that would be it, and that would or, be incredible. Or they in would the case never of, do that. Or in yeah. the case of the boys on Prime Video, uh, the case of Superman being a white nationalist. Yeah. Okay. You know? Well, yeah. that's the problem. But that, yeah. that's already that story has already been told. Uh, yeah. Here's the thing, Jeff. I actually agree with you. I would love to see an, an earnest Superman. Um, here, here are several things that are true that I believe in that might be self-contradictory. Number one, I would love to see an Ernest Superman. I think they should, they should go that way with a character. I, I would love, I would enjoy watching that. Number two, I think that our society's desire to question, uh, the nature of the American way and whether mm-hmm, it's actually mm-hmm. good for the world is a healthy and good one. And I yep. actually encourage it. Um, but number three, you know, I think that, uh, I think that, being that, that not being un- unapologetic about Superman being part of the American way is actually hurts the character. Like I remember Brian Singer's Superman Returns. It changed a very prominent line. There was a line that Frank Langella says in that, in that movie mm-hmm, where he's like, mm-hmm. I want to know if he stands for truth, justice, all that stuff. Right. He said all that stuff instead of the American way because they don't want it to be as bound to the American way. And for, for very healthy reasons, I think. Yeah. Um, even, even though but, that movie was so reverential to the Donner movies. Right, so, right. Exactly. Yeah. But they changed that. They yeah. changed that part, you know? And so, uh, but I think that you're right that I don't know that the character works in its, in any really in, like strong incarnation, unless it is ap- unapologetic about that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Well, I feel, um, so. I feel like there is an opportunity to, uh, Superman is an ideal, Right. Mm-hmm. He is not realistic. <laughs> He's he is a, an abstracted notion of what a superman would be, what the what the best of us could be, you know? 
And I think that it's not something that Marvel didn't have a and have the same issue looking at Captain right, America, right? I don't disagree with anything you said, but I think there can be a version of this character on screen that is that is an ideal that that says, hey, maybe the world isn't like this. Maybe America isn't like mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. but shouldn't we be? Yeah. Shouldn't we strive well, yeah. for that? That That's, Captain America ended up losing faith in the American government. In well, the whole multiple so, movies in, yeah, yes. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of wage war at some point against the American government. Yeah. Well, anyway, going back to the news, uh, this idea of a 10-year plan, first of all, it's pretty hilarious because it's like, oh, all the idea, you should have just had a 10-year plan all along, right? Then that would have solved the whole problem. It's a lot yeah. harder to actually do than it is to see. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also, you were pointing out some of those slides that they were they were showing off during during mm-hmm. the investor thing. That does not give me faith in their any idea of a ten year plan because uh, what was what was the thing? HBO's for men, discoveries for women. Basically, <laughs> right. like right. that's yes. how they're thinking about all this stuff. I don't have faith in anything you're doing. Right. It, it, the the slide that they got completely <laughs> dragged for, which is deservedly, rightfully, deservedly yes. <laughs> so, is they kind of juxtaposed HBO and Discovery, and they're like, HBO is for lean in content, <laughs> fandoms, you know, male skewing, and then Discovery is for lean back. That's what women, that's Cheetos what the ladies on your do chest. when they watch the TVs. They lean back, watch and reality TV. Yeah, it's yeah. the home of genre dums. Yeah. Which is not yeah. a not you know, sexual kinky term. It's actually <laughs> a completely made up word for whatever the heck reality TV is. Um, and uh, here's the thing: the slide is terrible, and whoever made it should be fired. And it's terrible, right? Like I, I, I think the slide is terrible. I actually think the idea behind it is not bad. Which is <laughs> that they're, what they're trying to say is the new super Voltron service uh-huh. will have something for everyone, right? But they just shouldn't have made a slide that looks like it came out of 1992. You know, like. Yeah. It, they, they should have done it in a more artful way than the, what they did. But I, I think a wise man once said, "Do not let yourself ever be clowned upon." And uh, <laughs> that slide was uh, was built for clowning. Like you just mm-hmm, opened totally, yourself up to totally. everything. They yeah. should they should be completely excoriated for it, and they were, and they were. They were completely dragged online for it. So, I'm, and I'm glad, I'm glad. But um, but what they're trying to say is basically the new HBO. Uh, you know, uh, what is it? Max Cock, Discover Max Cock. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Discover Max Cock. Yeah. Discover, Discover Max, Max Cock. Yeah. It will be uh, the uh, the home of everything. Everything you want. It's going to have the lean in, the lean back. I mean, I think, stuff. I lean I think forward, the title already suggests that, Dave. What'd you say, Jeff? I think the title already suggests that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everything you uh, want. Uh, okay. All right, Jeff. <laughs> anyway, will DC have a good 10-year plan? I doubt it. But also, I think what we're saying is don't have a 10-year plan. You've you've made the best work of your you entire life <laughs> when you haven't had a plan. How about start with a one-year plan? That's, uh-huh. That yeah, that seems like yeah. a good, good way to start. How about start with uh, finishing the movie you just made, <laughs> you, you idiots? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. All right. So, uh, choppy waters ahead for uh, Warner Brothers and HBO, and uh, we'll be monitoring the whole situation as it goes on. But it's safe. I think it's going to be safe to say that HBO Max, which is a must have service, whatever it becomes next year, I think we're going to be feeling a little differently about it. That's my uh-huh. guess. That's my guess. So, anyway, I, I, it's, it's such a shame. I so, just, so I just fallen so in love dumb. with HBO Max. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just all yeah. this value destruction for very little reason other for than you know, saving some money. Somebody saving walked some in and was like, nice streaming service you got here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shame if something bad happened. Mm-hmm. Shame if I would discover it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, that was pretty good, Jeff. Though. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is all the film news this week. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Microdose Gummies. Now, you've probably heard about the idea of microdosing. It's the sort of thing where you could take very small amounts of CBD or THC to help with uh, anxiety or to just help you feel better. Microdose Gummies delivers a really great entry-level dose of THC that helps you feel the right amount of good. Now, I've taken quite a few CBD products over the last few years because, uh, you know, things are getting kind of crazy in the world. And I have to say, I really like microdose gummies because they taste good. They're very easy to take. And, uh, you know, unlike uh, oily drops or something, you don't, you're not left with an oily taste in your mouth. I typically use them to unwind after a long day or even a long week. And, uh, you know, I just find that they're really useful for helping to get to sleep when I'm having trouble as well. There's so many uses for these things, and uh, I love that there's no real hangover or anything like that. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code FILMCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com and code FILMCAST. All right, folks, let's turn our attention to hopefully a more positive topic, <laughs> uh, which is stuff that we've been watching that we might recommend. So, Devinger Hardware, what have you been uh-huh. watching this week? Get it while you can, I guess. Yeah, seriously. Uh, on Netflix, a service I honestly have not like flipped on in a very long time. Turns out Netflix has original programming. Mm, and uh, interesting. this particular one, The Sandman, is pretty damn great. Shockingly. Like, shockingly great. Now, I've never been... I wasn't like a big Sandman stan, you know, in the, in the 90s. <laughs> I've read the first uh, the first couple books Um and I liked it just fine. But, you know, it, it was a big thing. A lot of people I knew were really into the Neil Gaiman books. Um, and this series just kind of does the impossible of visualizing uh, the Sandman world where uh, there is like the dream world where things look really fantastical and almost like Game of Thrones. There's a lot of period stuff going on here. I think the series is just a really great adaptation. Um, but Jeff, I, I figured this is more your bag. Are you digging it so far? I am digging it so far, very much so. I uh, I'm also shocked that they managed to pull this off. Um, I I was 12 years old. I remember it very very vividly. I went to my friend Patrick Shannon's house, and he's like, "Hey, check out this comic book that I got." Mm-hmm. We yeah. were both massive comic book nerds. It's so emo. Yeah. Yeah. He hands it to me, and I was like, "What the hell is this? I I read superhero comics. This isn't a super. What is this? This isn't a superhero. There's no." It says Sandman, which sounds like a superhero. Uh huh. But this isn't a. What is, is this a fairy tale book or something? What is yeah. this? Cr- what is this? There, there's not a single punch in this entire book. What is happening? Oh, this is really good. Oh, what? Whoa! It really opened my mind uh, at that time to what comic books were because I was so entrenched in traditional superhero comics and uh, Neil Gaiman's imagination and and literariness. You know, it, pulling from. Like, I think the end of Sandman, like, William Shakespeare is inspired to make The Tempest. You know, I think that's, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. wild. It's wild stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- this this is a book that uh, influenced me a, a big time in, in my youth, but it's not one that I have revisited recently. Mm-hmm. So it, it was really cool watching the show because I, I don't remember the details. I mean, basically, the cool thing, the cool hook of Sandman is, in a very Neil Gaiman way, the, these sort of abstract ideas like dream 
is mm-hmm. a person. They're anthropomorphized. It's a it's a person who is the dream. This Morpheus character. And it's like, what if the person who's responsible for our dreams is captured by a person, by a human, yeah. a human like sets a trap and captures the concept of dreams. And because he does that in a certain time period, it means all of humanity's dreams have been fucked ever since for a century. Yes. Which is yeah. a, such a cool idea. Um, and then it goes on from it. And then, so the, you know, this, this dream character uh, escapes and like has to sort of make up for lost time and make up for all the mistakes that he's made. And uh, it's an awesome concept. The show does a really good job, I think, of of visualizing that. Like, there's certain uh, shots that I'm like, oh, my God, that looks exactly like a yeah. panel from the comic. Yeah. They managed to make uh, the Morpheus character like this stark white image that mm-hmm. he ha- like he was drawn with this black hair that's all over the place. I feel like Tom Sturridge, uh, like, we can't get Bowie now. Like, everybody's like, <laughs> you got to get Bowie to do this because yeah. he, he always looked like Bowie uh, in his prime. And Tom Sturridge is just this, like, super pale uh, very skinny, muscular guy. It's like he was kind of born yeah. to play this role, honestly, at this point. Yeah. He's weird looking in the show, which is really like what is needed. He sounds mm-hmm. weird. His pace is sort of weird. It's it's very disconcerting, which is exactly what you would want for a, a visualization of this character that even like the font they used in the comic was weird when he talked, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm three episodes in. Uh, I'm, I'm really digging it. I, I'm really enjoying it. I think that they have done a great job with this so far. So... Hopefully they stick the landing, uh, but yeah. I've only seen three episodes. I've I've seen some of the reviews and people seem like genuinely positive about all this. So I'm I'm just shocked. Like I'm shocked it looks so good. Uh, just watch like the I think the opening like monologue of Dream, like to, talking about the world, setting up the stakes of like you know wh- where you are uh, when you dream. You go to another place. I think it's so well done, so sharp, and so well visualized that I was just shocked at like how well it was all working together the cast all around is good uh, i even like boyd holbrook who i don't normally like in things but he plays one of the uh he plays the corinthian is one of the bad guys like the main bad guy basically originally um and even he is good here like it, it is a great cast all around i'm three episodes in as well visually it looks great um i'm shocked that something co-written by david goyer like <laughs> looks and feels and co-developed by david goyer too um just like feel so faithful and so great. Like, I, I guess like this is a series that people have talked about being impossible to make, you mm-hmm. know, like in terms of getting the visuals down, getting the budget down for this and also containing uh, all of Gaiman's ideas. And somehow they did it. Like maybe it took this long for all these pieces to get put into place. But yeah, the show's kind of a miracle. I'm really digging it. And uh, it makes me want to go back and read all the books. So I'm going to be doing that soon. Yeah. And it's cool to see how enthusiastic Gaiman is about it online. He seems mm-hmm. to be really a big fan of what they've done. Yeah. He's directly and, involved too, which is nice. Yeah. I, uh, I also started watching this with my wife and uh, after a couple episodes, I was like, so what do you think of it? She's like, well, I'll be honest. When it first started, I was like, what is my husband making me watch? Because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's high. Fan- it's big it fantasy at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. But she she's digging it. She's like, oh, but then I got totally hooked. And she's like, I want to watch all of it. So uh, she's Great. she's in too. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's The Sandman and it is available on Netflix. And it seems like, uh, Jeff, you're going to keep going, right? Yeah. Cool. Uh, Devinder, what else you watching? Uh, I have to ask you guys, uh, what does the the name Cornholio? What does that What does that <laughs> for, mean? For my bunghole. Okay, you, you get it. You're part of the tribe. Okay. For my bunghole. Yeah. Yep. TP for your bunghole. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead do the universe is the new movie 
featuring these two uh, these two idiots. It's on <laughs> Paramount Plus right now. I I've loved Beavis and Butthead in the 90s, and I, I I can't quite explain why. I think it's because partially because you know Mike Judge is a goddamn genius, so like anything he touches. I think is like really interesting and uh, yeah, it was always a show about two idiots, but they were funny. Like they were really funny. The side characters around them were funny. Their commentary and music videos and stuff was, which is a lot of fun. And uh, I think as like a young, you know, overachieving kid in the nineties, like it, it was fascinating just to watch these guys just be idiots. You know, I was like, huh, you could just do that. <laughs> you don't have to try sometimes. I don't know. Um, so I, I always found them really endearing, um, even though they're, they're, they're still, goddamn idiots um beavis and butthead do the universe is their second movie and i I think it's fine as a film uh it is not directed by mike judge like the uh like the tv series uh or i think largely was and the original movie was the original movie was kind of a big deal did you guys ever end up seeing that beavis and butthead do america i don't think i ever did that movie co-stars bruce willis and demi moore like it was a big (laughs) it was a big big deal it has like a big uh like um like a there's like a espionage plot going on there. Like it's a big type of movie. It's not just Beavis and Butthead being stupid. Um, I think this new movie do the universe is uh, they go to space because of course they do. They, they travel into the future because of course they do. And uh, you know, it it is very like typical stuff. Uh, I don't think this movie will create new Beavis and Butthead fans, um, but I liked it just fine. Then I started watching the new TV series, which is also on Paramount plus. And, the show is great. Like, I think Beavis and Butthead are best suited to being like, you know, 20 minute uh, episodes are split into two separate episodes, you know, where you don't have to spend too much time with one idea. And uh, the show, instead of just commenting on music videos, which they still do, they comment on YouTube videos. They comment on TikToks. Uh, there's one, I think there's a free episode floating around on YouTube that you could watch of them just talking about um, a guy on TikTok who explains how to make prison tattoos. There's one of them reacting to an ASMR video. Nice. It is hilarious because then they start to do ASMR and they just like really get into it. (laughs) I think, uh, I think it's funny. I think it's genuinely funny. And Mike judge, um, still doing the voices for both of them. I think he, he has not lost a step with these characters, you know what they do. So if you want to see Beavis and Butthead take on TikTok and YouTube and, uh, escape rooms and things like that, uh, I think the new series is worth a watch. The movie kind of sets up, uh, I think, why they still exist as teenagers, because the movie sets their sends their teenage selves into the modern day. And uh, I guess that's where the TV series continues, except all the side characters are still the same age in the modern day. So I don't the continuity there does not quite work because it's uh, all the old characters with the technology of today and they're still in high school. So I don't know. Don't think about it too much. I think they're really funny and uh, it's worth watching Beavis and Butthead. That's good because I, I would worry that those two characters would end up being like fucking incels or something right, today. Right, right, you know, right, right? They're too dumb for that, to be honest. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's Beavis and Butthead do the universe, and also the new series on Paramount Plus is just Beavis and Butthead. I believe it right? is Mike Judge's Beavis and Butthead, and mm. then Paramount also has just the the old Beavis and Butthead here series. Yeah, got it. The real it. Ghostbusters. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's what Devinder Hardware has been watching. I want to mention a couple things I've been watching. So a couple weeks ago, Jeff Kanata recommended a film called The Sea Beast. Wow, I'm so excited here what you on, think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this movie. Yes. This is amazing. This movie's amazing. I, I just saw it um, too. Same. Yeah. Um, I, this is basically How to Train Your Dragon Pirate Edition. Yes. Um, in many ways, like the plot thematically is very similar to How to Train Dragon. The 
the uh, sea beast, the titular sea beast, the actually design. resembles the dragon and how to train a dragon in some ways. Um, but what makes this movie excellent are, well, first of all, the voice acting is awesome. You got Carl Urban um, and also Jared Harris playing a oh, man. sort of so hardcore good. pirate that I've never so really good. heard him play this role kind of Jared role Jared Harris is in his many voices. If you don't watch The Expanse, like he yeah. many voices, this man. Jared Harris in The Expanse is doing a, a, a uh, an accent. That, He's doing like Jamaican patois. In yeah, it's like yeah. an accent that doesn't exist in <laughs> nature. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I also love uh, Angel, uh, sorry, Zaris Angel Hator, who plays Maisie. She's awesome as well in the movie. Uh, and what really separates this, first of all, uh, from from like anything else, is like the uh, the animation looks beautiful, but also the set pieces are riveting. Like there's right? multiple action sequences in this movie. <sighs> Incredible. They're very scary, I would say. Um, so I don't know that they'd be good for her young kids. Devinger, I don't know if you saw it with your daughter or anything like that, but um, I told I think you what happened that, with my kids, right? Yeah, yeah, you said they didn't like they he didn't want to watch it anymore, right? The, there's scary. a point where someone gets swallowed and that was when he was out. He was like uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he was like yeah. I I don't want to watch this anymore. This guy's scary. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh, Chris Williams is the director behind it. He was one of the writers behind Moana and he's um been you know, he's been involved in movies like uh he directed Big Hero 6 and Bolt. Uh super talented guy. And the sea beast just again has these like we we watch the first five ten minutes and we're like hold my wife and I were like holy crap this is yeah. incredible like this action sequence is incredible like I, I've never seen anything like this before and what's also great is the sense of scale you get humans compared to uh, you know there spoilers there are sea beasts in the movie <laughs> and you you get the, like the sense of them juxtaposed next to like humans ju- juxtaposed next to these sea beasts and it's like so awe inspiring to like imagine. Uh, how big these things must be, you know, and uh, reminded me in some ways of Avatar 2, Jeff. I was like, maybe the reason Jeff is so into this is because it's so close to Avatar. <laughs> Got some Avatar vibes for him. Possibly. So, I, but, I just don't understand why everyone isn't talking about this movie. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, I can tell you the answer to that question is because it is on yeah. streaming, Jeff. It's yeah. on streaming. It's on Netflix know? and also hasn't really been promoted that much. Like, yeah. it is in the the pile of Netflix junk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, Lightyear should have been the streamed movie this summer, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this should have been in theaters, man. I agree. Yep. I mean, this would have been I, like the whole time I'm watching it. I'm like, you know, I we have good sound and video at home, but I'm like, I wish I could be watching this in a theater because it would have yeah. been exhilarating. Um, so yeah, if you have good sound, if you have a good, uh, uh, you know, visual setup at home, uh, you will be well rewarded by watching the Sea Beast, which is currently on Netflix. But uh, I love this movie, and I, I can't recommend it highly enough. I also had a chance to watch uh, Trainwreck Woodstock 99 on Netflix. Now, I know there was a Woodstock 99 documentary that came out on HBO Max last year. I did not see that one. Um, Woodstock, uh, Trainwreck Woodstock 99 is a three-part documentary on Netflix. Uh, whole thing's around like two hours and 40 minutes long. It's not that long. Um, but I, I had only vaguely understood what happened at Woodstock 99 before watching this documentary. Uh Jeff Kanata, you're slightly older than you're old. Than the rest of us. You're, you remember you're 1999 well. You were you were born in the 1900s. <laughs> you were already graduating from college. <laughs> you 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 uh you were born in the 1900s. Like, what was uh? Do you remember hearing anything about Woodstock '99 back? In of the course, day? of course, of course, I did. Did did any part of me want to go to it? No. <laughs> I remember wanting to go to it, like I to be do. honest, like it. But I, I was remember, also in New England, so it's like it, we could drive up there. You know? The only thing I remember is the mud. Yeah, 
the mud. It was all mud, right? Um, <laughs> it was it was worse than that. It was worse than that. So, I mean, one of the things you find out is that um, they they basically didn't allocate enough. Uh, the the whole thing is the promoters behind the festival trying to make as much money from the festival as possible. Is this is this the the, the prototypical fire fest? It's the Fire Festival of Woodstock Festivals. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Woodstock 99 was the Fire Festival of Woodstock Festivals. So they tried to make as much money as possible. They outsourced a bunch of stuff that they probably shouldn't have outsourced, or they outsourced it to the wrong people. But there were things like uh, the there weren't enough porta-potties for 250,000 people. Mm. Um, the porta-potties that were available were not adequately sanitized or well taken care of. Um, it was held at an army base with a massive wall erected around it to make sure no one could get in without paying for it. Love it. And so what ended up happening by the last, and, and um, they took away everyone's water. Like if you try to enter the festival with water, they take it away. Cause you got to buy water inside the <laughs> festival at $4 per water bottle in 1999 money. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so you end up with these people who are like outside in the sun, there's no shade. Uh, it's the hottest days of the year. You've taken away their water. They're like college kids. You're charging $4 a water bottle. Um, there is no sanitary facilities for them to go to the bathroom. And so mm-hmm. what ends up happening is like, and there were like kind of designated shower areas, but the wait was so long. People basically started smashing the pipes and just like having the water burst out of the pipes and taking that's a shower fun. that way or getting water that way. But then the water starts mixing with all the sewage that's running out from the, yep. um, from the porta potties. And that's, what's creating the mud that you referred to Jeff. It's yeah. so all, all mix, the mud is shit. Basically. Yeah. It's a mix of shit mud. And, uh, and these people described like getting, uh, I forget what there was a, there's a horrifying name for the thing that they got. It was like, it was like <laughs> sewage mouth or something like that. <laughs> Super gonorrhea. Yeah, it was something where like basically what happens when you drink sewage water, like <laughs> whatever that condition is. They yeah. started. She's like, this woman was talking about her experience. She's like, yeah, I started getting all these sores in the inside of my mouth oh, and all over fuck. my body, and it's well, like that's normal when you listen to Limp Bizkit, but then, uh, <laughs> man. <laughs> Uh, did good. you did you good. see the HBO documentary, Dave? Because I that came out I that came not. out last year. It's kind of it's all the same deal. So I'm actually wondering: Did this Netflix doc do anything new? I don't know. Wow, my understanding, like the first dueling of all, it's fest documentaries. Yeah, 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 yeah. My understanding is it's longer, and also, um, you know, it it has like different interviews, and also like they have like actual on the ground footage that the HBO Max documentary did not mm, have. Mm. Um, so my, my guess is they they're both good, but um, I, I was like, okay, I, I don't know if I'm going to watch two Woodstock '99 documentaries. Yeah. So the one I'm going to watch is going to be the longer one that probably has more of the footage, uh, and I will say. This documentary did a good job of making you feel like you were on the ground there. I, I the remember festival. seeing the news coming out of like I think uh, what was it MTV like was covering this pretty pretty uh, widely and this idea the the shit show here turned me off of music festivals like for the rest of my life. <laughs> Literally, shit show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, well, it, yeah. It, it's it's going to be easier and easier for documentarians as we get forward in time like once we hit 2007 yeah. we're documentary mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. from 2007 beyond it's just gonna be like they don't even have to scrounge for video footage you know mm-hmm. it's yeah. gonna be so yeah, I simple mean, a lot of the stuff here is from like mtv was live on site and also yeah. like, people with camcorders and stuff but like which, which would have been once everyone has would, smartphones it's game over for getting uh-huh. the footage, you know? exactly so. people with camcorders would have been like one in a thousand if that and <laughs> now you're gonna just get literally you know you, you see the 
the January 6th footage that, that the yeah. Congress is combing through. It's like every idiot there was like filming it constantly, you know? Yeah. Well, in 10 years, it'll be an AI just combing through all this footage to like yeah. try to make sense of humanity, you know, like as, as, as <laughs> yeah. like in our civilization, civilization falls. In the ashes yeah. of civilization. Yes, yeah. Okay. yeah. The yeah. aliens from the end of AI will be like, huh, that's what they did. They They're literally recorded their downfall. Yeah, that's interesting. Incredible. <laughs> I think uh, you, you guys are underselling how bad it was, though, at Woodstock. That oh, night. yeah, you it's know, awful. It was like, massive riots and... Heat exhaustion, uh, like medical emergencies all around. Yeah. Uh, um, sexual just, assaults. Yep. Uh, it, it, was, it was... But no one it cared basically because was like Lord they were of the all... Flies situation. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. Because it turns out when you put 250,000 people in a small enclosed space, uh, you deprive them of their water, you charge them extend like... Uh, exorbitantly for more water. Um, you don't have any shade whatsoever. Uh, and you don't have clean facilities. Uh, you know, trash is everywhere. Uh, it turns out they might act out. You know, that's uh, this is the Stanford prison experiment of, uh, of music festivals. But Dave, um, the thing you're forgetting is that at that time, no one cared because all they were worried about was Y2K. We all, <laughs> we all knew we were on borrowed time anyway. 1999, it's all ending. 2000, zero, zero, party's over. Oops, out of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To quote the great one. Mm. There yeah. needs to be a good Y2K documentary because uh, even now, people still talk about it like it's a joke, you know, because we were kind of doing that. Uh, people in computers and people in IT were like, did a shit ton of work so that <laughs> our society didn't fall apart. And that yeah. story hasn't ever been told very well, I think. so. There is a great podcast about this topic, Devendra, yeah, called yeah. Headlong Surviving Y2K. It's all about what happened around Y2K. It's actually very good. I'd okay, I'll check it. that out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of people forget, you know, many of this, many of Gen Z, <laughs> most of Gen Z, I think was born after Y2K happened. So, right. Which is why, uh, uh, Jeff, when you're, when you're talking about the 1940s Superman, you gotta explain phone booths. You gotta explain all these things <laughs> to I the kids. To the we should probably, actually, we should probably explain what Y2K is right now because yeah! people listening to this who don't know what it is. Um, but for those who don't know, Babe, program- if you don't know what Y2K is, just unsubscribe from the podcast. <laughs> no, Jeff. That's a large portion of our audience. That's Stop. like 50% of the audience. Okay, I'll, I'll say this. Just look up Y2K or year 2000 problem on uh, Wikipedia. You'll get a summary of what it is. But I- I'm Basically, not gonna we it. all thought the world was going to end. And yeah. my friend's dads were like stockpiling <laughs> weapons and MREs mm-hmm. in their bunkers. <laughs> wow. I'm wow. not joking. That's not a joke. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It was, I mean, a, it was crazy. It, it could have been yeah. bad. It could have been bad. Yeah. We didn't do a lot of work. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it's a good thing society held on to that level of alarm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Off, it was the obviously, it was yeah. the first doomsday preppers, you know? Mm-hmm. The Y2K mm-hmm. was the set the tone for everything that would come after. Indeed. Okay. Uh, well, those are some things I've been watching. Uh, and that's a uh, train wreck. Uh, Woodstock 99. I think it's a solid documentary about what happened with Woodstock 99. Um, and, uh, it's horrifying to see how quickly humans can turn into a mob. Uh, and this documentary gives ample evidence of that. So check it out. It's on Netflix. That's what I've been watching this week. Jeff Kanata, what are you watching this week? Well, I dove into the Disney Plus documentary series Light and Magic, which is a chronicle of, uh, industrial light and magic, the, uh, the, the preeminent visual effects house. Um, that George Lucas uh, created in order to make Star Wars. Um, I, people I've that heard love great li- things about this documentary. I'm like it is really great. excited about this. It is great. I've watched all six episodes. Uh, couldn't stop. Didn't want to stop. 
Uh, it is, and people that have listened to this show for a long time have probably heard me talk about how uh, originally when I was in, in high school, uh, what I wanted to be when I grew up, what I wanted to do for a living was visual effects. Uh, I wanted uh, more, more specifically special effects, which is what, you know, I, I, I ended up going to school for computer science and, you know, before I changed my major to acting like an idiot. And, um, uh, but you know, cause everything was transitioning into visual effect, into, uh, you know, visual effects into, into CGI. Uh, I got a, uh, internship at this place called Pacific data images, which was a contemporary of ILM. I dreamed about working at ILM. I, I voraciously read the Cinefix magazines that would talk all about their procedures. Uh, I, I was addicted to it. I was obsessed with the, the special effects houses like industrial light and magic. Uh, so a lot of this information that can, is contained in, in the six part series, uh, I knew, but my God, what a treasure trove of actual footage of, of home videos of interviews, contemporary interviews of, you know, Dennis Murin and, uh, Phil Tippett and like all the people that were there. I mean, if you want to understand why Mad God is why Mad God is, it is explained in this documentary series. Uh, <laughs> Phil Tippett, him insane. Yeah. Yes, Phil Tippett is is uh, is very uh, forthright with with you know his struggles and and his life and fascinating. It just it is. This is an amazing series. It's an amazing hmm. series. I think initially, honestly, I was a little disappointed by it because the first two episodes. Ah, uh, the first episode is about all the crazy people that came together to make ILM, and the second episode is basically all George Lucas, and it very much focuses on the people. And as much as that is entertaining and interesting, and and really well done, really well documented, what I was hoping for, what I personally enjoy more than that, is the procedures, the methodology, the ways that they went about doing stuff, especially in those early years before computers where everything was built they had armatures and and puppets and and you know they had to make models and and actually film things and how they figured all that stuff out because when george lucas set about making star wars there really wasn't a a method in place to accomplish that stuff no one had actually done anything on that scale before and they hadn't done film compositing uh, like that with that number of shots, with that much complexity, with moving cameras. They had to invent all that stuff. Uh, so he literally found people that could invent it, and they did. They just literally invented special effects from you know modern special effects. And all of that is chronicled in this, but I, I yearned for that crunchy, like nuts and bolts, how did they do it? And I will tell you, after the second episode, like third episode on third through sixth of the episodes, much more detail about that stuff, which I loved. I mean, they show incredible footage I've never seen before. I've watched, you know, every behind the scenes, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back, the Dark Crystal, like every behind the scenes thing you could in the 80s that they produce. I've never seen the majority of the footage that they show in this series of like Phil Tippett you know, doing the ad at sequence. And like he, he did it basically all by himself using these trap doors in the set to move individual, uh, at It's, it's amazing stuff. And to the series's credit, it keeps going after that. It, it, they talk at length with Steven Spielberg talking about how he used ILM and, 
and even more modern people, Ron Howard. And, and there's this wonderful sequence where like it literally is interviewing all these great directors, uh, James Cameron, J.J. Uh, Abrams, you know, just talking to them all about like what it meant to them the first time they saw Star Wars. And it's just awesome. Like it, that movie meant so much. It, it created an entire generation of imagination in filmmaking. And there's this great line that J.J. Abrams says where he's like, you know, I watched that movie and he was like, it, it was like discovering there's an entire other floor in my house. He goes, I can go there now? Uh, it's just a great line. And so there's so many moments like that. And then the, also, the show- also making Star Wars let him add another floor to his house. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> floor to his houses. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, it's like, well, JJ, it's such a great sentiment. Why did you have to ruin Star Wars? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not kidding, but I am. Um, <laughs> the, it was already ruined by George Lucas with the prequel, but eh, we're not getting into that. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, to, to the series credit also is that, you know, they keep stepping forward and stepping forward in time. And at a certain point, it's like, oh, we did everything with computers and that's not really interesting <laughs> to show on screen anymore. You know, like, uh, you have all these people physically manipulating stuff and building things and figuring out how cameras work. And at a certain point, they're like, yeah, everything went to computers and half the company was fired because we were all dinosaurs who couldn't do that. And they, they're very honest about that in the show about how, you know, it, it was not, <laughs> it was a transition that hurt a lot of people. Um, and it just, like happened really fast for the industry. But then they even go, you know, all the way up to present day and talking to uh, John Favreau and how uh, the Mandalorian is made and, and and how the that volume that they created where they can actually project screens and going into detail about that. It, there's so much here. It is fantastic. Cannot recommend it higher. Light and Magic on Disney Plus. Excellent. And uh, how many episodes is it? Six episodes. Six. How long is each one, Jeff? Uh, about an hour. Gotcha. Uh, I, I have heard amazing things about this and I am really excited to get into it. Um, so yeah, that's light and magic, uh, on Disney plus, uh, get excited. And I think that's all you've been watching this week, right, Jeff? That and Sandman. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, folks, uh, let's get to some weekly plugs. Weekly Plugs is a part of the show where we plug something else we've been making. So uh, if you've been listening to Decoding Westworld for the last uh, seven weeks or so, you know that Siddhanta Laka and I have been recapping this season of Westworld, which has been actually good, by the way. Actually good. I, I kind of um, refuse to believe it. No matter how much you say it, I cannot, does not compute. Well, until this the is the last episode of the season, I'm not going to believe it because that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's when it happens. I, yeah. I would say, I mean, I would say even if the last episode completely screws the pooch, like this uh-huh. season has uh-huh. been overall very strong. Um, I, I mean, of course, I am not discounting Westworld's possibility of surprising me with how bad it is. Yeah. Cut but... to Dave in a couple of weeks going, guys, <laughs> I've been hurt again. <laughs> this is the strongest season of Westworld there's been since season one. Um, and it's a bummer because I think a lot of people fell off the show because season three was so bad that like people just were like, I'm never coming back to this. I felt like um, that was an improvement for season two, to be honest, but we've seen the, uh, the, yeah, it's true. Season rated. two was really rough. Season yeah, two was, season also two really was awful. <laughs> anyway, um, I've had such a great time recapping, uh, Westworld with Sinatha Laka that we are actually renaming the podcast. It's going to be decoding TV and we're going to be, uh, recapping TV shows 
all year? Question mark. I mean, it depends on people if people tune into the next one. But the next one is gonna be guys, She Hulk Attorney at Law, which is wow, gonna be on Marvel. Oh, yeah, Disney. Disney Plus. The the yeah. podcast should be titled Decoding TV uh subtitle Acceptance Marvel. Yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> wow. Guys, uh, well, I, I will. Like I said, it's I'm gonna be watching Miss Marvel. Okay, it's no, you're not. Gonna, you're gonna be watching She Hulk. <laughs> I'll be so. watching both concurrently. Okay, I'll be watching both concurrently. He's uh-huh. literally skipping the one yeah. truly excellent Marvel <laughs> uh, TV show. Yeah, and, okay. and who knows what She Hulk's gonna be? You know but. these uh, these creatures that don't look human, and uh, every trailer I see looks incredibly rough. Uh, I'm gonna go for that. Yeah, I bet on that. I, I'm gonna if I had to put a wager down on whether Dave's gonna like She Hulk or not. <laughs> I think you know where I'm going, where I'm putting my mm-hmm. money, you know? Well, you know, if you want to find out wh- whether Jeff is going to win that wage or not, decodingtv.com is where you can tune in. Um, but, re- you know, it's really just a kind of like, uh, it's, a tri- it's a trial balloon. It's gonna basically like, are people going to tune in even though we're not covering Westworld? That is the yeah, question. Yeah. And if they do, it, we will cover other shows that are not Westworld or She-Hulk in the future. So we'll see. Anyway, that's my weekly plug, decodingtv.com. Devinder Hardware, your weekly plug. Uh, yeah, I'm on paternity leave this month, so I'm not creating things of my own, but I will point you all to the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, my colleagues Sherlyn Lowe and Sam Rutherford talked about the OnePlus 10T, which is the latest OnePlus phone, which I believe you can't even get in America, but uh, phone nerds love to import these things, so it dives deep into like you know how, how this thing compares to other mid-range phones. Phone nerds are weird, guys, because I think a lot of phones are just pretty good right now. So it's very weird to get into ones that are like so specific and hard to get. But yeah, OnePlus mm-hmm. One Plus 10T, if you're interested in that phone, check out this episode. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? I do a video game podcast called DLC. I've been doing that for uh, over eight years, and uh, it's it's delightful. I find it very fun. And this week was a particularly good episode. Uh, we had Mike Footer on, uh, who is an expert in the business side of the video game industry. Love Mike. He's great. He's great. Yeah, he's great. Uh, and uh, my, uh, my usual co-host, Christian Spicer, has been on vacation. So we've had fill-ins and, and uh, Lana Bashinsky, who is also a delight, completely awesome. She filled in. So it was myself and Lana and Mike uh, this week talking uh, all kinds of really interesting business stuff. Um, acquisitions, uh, Blizzard burying the the uh, WoW. It's kind of like uh, kind of like the Batgirl situation, but for a uh, video game that has been in development for three years, not coming out anymore because of weird businessy reasons. Good stuff. Good listening. Yeah, you can find that wherever you get podcasts, or by going to five by five TV slash DLC. Few weekly plugs for this podcast as well. If you want to support the filmcast, very easy to do that by going to patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes or exclusive after darks. This week on the After Dark, we'll be covering Resurrection, a horror movie starring Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. Uh, so should be an interesting conversation because the movie is pretty interesting uh, from what I saw this weekend. So uh, tune into that at patreon.com slash film podcast. Of course, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you a financial hardship. Uh, all you got to do to support us for free is leave a star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. We would really appreciate it. All right, that's Weekly Plugs for this week. Let's get to our review of Bullet Train. I am ready. You are getting the new and improved me. Because if you put peace out in the world, you get peace back. 
think you might be forgetting what you do for a living. Take the gun. Every job I do, somebody dies. I'm not that guy anymore. Some conflicts require a gun. Hey, this is nice. That was from the trailer for Bullet Train. This is the Filmcast. Welcome to our conversation about this movie. I'm going to read the plot summary for Bullet Train from IMDb. Five assassins aboard a fast-moving bullet train find out their missions have something in common. This comes from director David Litch, who's one of the people behind John Wick, very talented director. Uh, and the trailers for this looked pretty cool. You know, a bullet train, action movie, excitement, starring Brad Pitt and a cast of characters that's really impressive. Let's start with Devinder Hardwar. What did you think of this movie? You know what, guys? I'm a I'm a man of simple pleasures. Okay, <laughs> I like my I like my hitmen quippy. I like my action clear and inventive. I like my bullet my trains bullet speed. Okay, <laughs> so this movie uh, just kind of worked for me on a lot of levels. Uh, this movie does not reinvent uh, you know the the sort of like quippy gangster genre, which is so many things. It's basically snatch. This movie feels like it could be a sequel to Snatch, which also uh, featured Brad Pitt. Um, but I will say, we just came off of reviewing The Gray Man, a movie which I felt negative emotions about. Like zero, I, I had no feelings. I, I hated so much of that movie. And the fun that I think maybe you felt, Jeff, in that movie, I kind of felt here. You know, it's it's not reinventing the wheel, but it is a lot of fun. Like I saw this movie on a Friday night after a very long week of juggling the kids. And I was like, you know what? This is a nice break. This is, I'm just chilling here. Brad Pitt is doing his, like, it is a good, like annoyed slash uh, Brad Pitt uh, going for like self-help type of thing. This is basically Brad Pitt doing a Ryan Reynolds impression, uh, which, (laughs) you know, depending on how that sounds to you, if that sounds exciting to you, I think you'll like it. I I don't know about that. Like, I also don't know about that. Less smarmy. It is more, it is more Brad Pitt trying to do, it is eat, pray, love Brad Pitt, you know, who is also an assassin, (laughs) you know, like it it is kind of that. Uh, But I, I had a lot of fun with this. I think the action is good. Um, um, I love, I want more things like more action scenes featured on trains, especially bullet trains. I think I mentioned this before, but not since uh, the Wolverine, which is almost a decade old at this point, uh, have we seen like a good bullet train action sequence. So I think that kind of lends itself to a good setting. I like the variety of characters here. Um, I've seen some, I see, I saw a lot of disappointed reviews in this movie and I, you know, I think it hits differently. Like you got to be on this movie's wavelength. Uh, I miss the sort of like Guy Ritchie uh, movies where people would be very quippy and Tarantino style um, where the narrative would like be all over the place timeline wise. For me, this felt like a good ride. Um, But at the same time, I could recognize like a lot of the issues with this movie, like especially setting something in Japan based on a Japanese novel. And uh, I think kind of like de-emphasizing all the Japanese and Asian characters, unless they're like uh, being countered for like a blood kill, like a a kill Mm -hmm. counter, you know, like that. I think that was the most time we saw people. The Um, biggest bummer of this movie is that it is a movie that is set in Japan on a bullet train. And there is very few Japanese characters in it. That's kind of like, there's yeah. some big names. There's Hiroyuki Sanada, oh, like, who yeah. I love. And, uh, and uh, what's his name? What's his, Andrew Koji. 
from Warrior. Like I love these people. Right, they kind yes. of set off the movie, and yet they're kind of sidelined yes. for much of it until the end. So that was kind of weird. Masioka appears, but yeah, Jeff, what were you going to say? It's it's only a, a few few characters if you define characters as people. As people. if you define yeah. them as a individual, like written a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there's lots because every there's time the, the any text comes up on the screen, there's Japanese. If you uh, count them as bodies you know, yeah, being piled up by, beings, by then, our yeah, leads, then, sure, yeah, there, there are sure yeah. a lot of them. So there's that. Um, I've listened to a couple of reviews, too. I think Pop Culture Happy Hour had some great commentary on this, especially Mallory Yu, who was pointing out like pretty much all the Asian women in this movie are just kind of there's nothing like not only very few Asian characters, but the women say nothing. And so many women in this movie also basically exist to be fridged. Like at one point, um, I'm not going to say who, but one character sees their fiance, you know, killed and does a very dramatic no. And uh, for me, that was comedy. That wasn't mm-hmm, drama. But mm-hmm. I was also laughing because I did think it was kind of hilarious how that scene was set up. So it is it is a weird tone. And I like I'm fine. Like I had fun with that tone. I feel like maybe with some script polish or something like this could have been like genuinely great. But for me, it was just like fun an acceptable like uh, entry in the genre of gangster action movies. Jeff Kanata, what did you think of Bullet Train? Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought of Bullet Train is best summed up in the form of a limerick. If you say how these actors all play off, each other is bad, you'd be way off. It's too <laughs> clever by half, but it gave me some laughs and I loved all the setups and payoffs. Nice. Ooh, nice. Very well done, Jeff. Well Thank done. Thank you. I agree with Devendra. I had a blast with this movie. And yes, I did talk about having fun with Gray Man. <laughs> this I is think- real fun. Real fun. <laughs> yeah. fun. It is. Yeah. I will acquiesce to that. It is more fun than Gray Man, uh, which I had fun with. But this is, uh, this was a blast. I, the, you know, the first few minutes in, I was like, I was like, rut row. Uh, rut row is this is this just like trying to be lock stock and two smoking barrels real mm, hard mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but i think the, the the movie i really applaud the script which evidently the screen based on a book but the screenwriter this is like the first major thing the screenwriter has has uh, credited you know for and it is uh it, it works like this interlocking puzzle box every single thing is a setup for every si- all of it is paid off. Everything interlocks almost too much. It's it's yeah. it's almost it's, too. It is cute. a hitman level. It's a hitman level in movie form, basically. Yeah, this it, is the higher thing. Yes, like, yeah. you're talking like, about the video game hitman, yes, right? Like yes. the, the video game hitman is known for these incredibly intricate setups and payoffs and like you know they'll say like you're you know so the the victim actually likes um skateboarding on weekends yeah. and then you'll like <laughs> use a skateboard to like take them out or something you know like yeah. everything pays off yeah here. and that's how this movie is and i found that very very satisfying and fun it's almost too clever it's all it's it really is too cute too clever it not cute in like a cutesy way but just like every single thing has another meaning reference point comes up again almost to the point where you go wow that's exhausting but but I had so, I had a lot of fun with it. I th- there are a lot of really fun cameos. There's a lot of uh, of cool moments. As Devinder pointed out, the action <laughs> is is phenomenal. Uh, I loved Brad Pitt's performance. I I liked. I mean, these are all sort of in that Tarantino mm-hmm. mold of having some 
weird affectation that every character has. You know, mm -hmm. we have a character in a train movie who's obsessed with Thomas the Train. Uh, yeah. Thomas the Tank Engine. Sir. Tank Engine, yes. excuse but, me. Uh, yes, actually, I am in the Thomas the Tank Engine like uh, mindset right now, so a lot of that probably hit a little too close to home. <laughs> right. Like, oh yeah, I know these characters. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of it is 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 almost you know it's almost overwritten, overwrought with that kind of uh, those layers, but it ultimately didn't bother me because I'm having so much fun along the way, and the way the characters bounce off each other, the way we have you know, uh, rivalries turned into friendships back into rivalries, all this constant pressure cooker of being in this very constrained place space that is, uh, that's, you know, hurtling down the, the track at the same time. It's a great, it's great fun. I, I hope more people watch this movie. It's not really, it's based on a book, but it's not mm -hmm. really based on a big IP. It feels like a fun throwback action movie that we don't get too much of these days. And I thought it, it it nailed it. I had a great time. I thought the ending was clever and fun. I really liked Bullet Train. Uh, well, Jeff, I want to read a comment that comes in from our Patreon page at patreon.com slash film podcast. Um, we reviewed, you re referred to our review of The Gray Man recently. And uh, somebody summed up your review of The Gray Man thusly. Uh, Jeff is like, if you already have a Netflix account and don't have nothing else to watch and you're alone at the house on a Saturday night and you don't have any booze and your friends won't answer your texts and your girlfriend just dumped you for the guy who can afford the Mission Impossible 4K Blu-ray collection, yeah. then The Gray Man is the perfect movie for you. And masturbation has lost its fun. Yeah. And The Gray Man. <laughs> Gray Man's great. I mean, not inaccurate. <laughs> Here's a question that's worth interrogating, right? What is it that makes Bullet Train... So much fun. And I agree with you. It's a great, fun mm -hmm. ride, mm -hmm. so to speak. Uh, and a movie like The Gray Man feel soulless. I comparison. can answer that C G completely. Okay. Go ahead. Because uh, it has interesting characters and there are different tones. Dude. Like People are still quippy and people were quippy in The Gray Man. But the quippiness was like one one tone. Like everybody felt like the same character, and there were so many dialogue scenes in the Gray Man where people were just like annoyed at each other. Like it, it, everybody was like the conversations were questions uh, mm -hmm. back and forth, back and forth, mm -hmm. and it was constant annoyance. And I just kind of got, I got a little like, uh, it felt like the same thing over and over. Whereas this one's like, you got Brad Pitt doing his Zen thing. You've got Brian Tyree Henry and uh, what's his face, uh, Kickass, uh, basically Aaron Taylor as, Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson also looking like super buff, super great right now. Yes, you get different vibes of characters, and I kind of appreciate that. And then you get Bad Bunny coming in, just giving you a completely different like you you get like a uh, Mexican gangster movie or like a, you know Spanish gangster movie like uh, within this movie. I kind of like being thrown around like that. So for me. The, the vibe was just much more um, interesting. Like, it was a much more compelling uh, mix of things. Plus, you can actually see the action. Like, there there's one scene in the quiet car or the train here, which I think was really well done. It probably breaks a lot of rules of the actual quiet car. You know, like, uh, I think smashing somebody in the head isn't that... It's pretty yeah. loud still. Um, but the way it was inventive and the way you could actually see things, like... Clearly, you could tell like David Leach uh, cares about this stuff, and I appreciate that. Like you could tell this movie's coming from a stunt guy, and honestly, I'm happy to see it too because uh, last movie he made was uh, Hobbs and Shaw, and that movie was all slick action, quippy guys. Once again, like it felt overly slick. Those guys aren't family to me, so I, I, I never quite uh, saw that movie in the Fast and Furious series. Mm -hmm. This feels more like okay, 
He's trying to do more like Snatch, maybe not as grounded as something like Atomic Blonde. Uh, but I, I, I like this. It's certainly fun to see. Yeah. Hashtag no relation. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good uh, response, Devendra. You know, in terms of like why this is better, and I, I think that there are actually relationships in this movie that I care about. Yeah. You know, um, I, the Gray Man that was true to some degree, like Ryan Gosling and his, I guess. Uh, niece like character right like that that was kind of a cool connection a little bit but but yeah there's some friendships and some uh moments in this movie that are really great i i was actually surprised at how incomprehensible some of the action in the gray man was because um the russo brothers have shown that they know how to do good hand-to-hand fight scenes and have it be like legible uh Mm -hmm. on the camera uh but I, i think you really can't top you know david lich and and the way that they frame each action scene in with like basically uh, relatively wide shots uh, and they generally try not to cut too much because they want you to appreciate the artistry of the action scenes. And I think you definitely get that with Bullet Train. Mm-hmm. I, I had a lot of fun with this movie as well. I think it was uh, a blast and and kind of this, um, I'm not sure if Rube Goldberg-esque machine is the, way, is the best way to describe it, but it's, it just felt like there's all these moving parts, like all these moving pieces. And at the end, like they're all going to converge and pay off in some satisfying way. And I think in general, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the action was pretty great, you know, and, and there's just these like stylistic flourishes that the movie has that I just am so impressed by, you know, um, B- Bad Bunny, who plays Wolf, right, as you mentioned, um, there is a sequence in which that character's entire life is introduced yeah. to you. And it yeah. reminds me of like, almost like Michael Bay at his best where you, you just show you like these quick little I mean, seconds that's, and you, that's freaking, and yeah. it's Guy Ritchie. Like that's what mm-hmm. it's yeah, yeah. the Guy Ritchie thing. Like I watched Snatch so many times. Like I was, I probably, we probably watched Snatch together at some point in college day, but I watched Snatch so many times the, the DVD broke. Like there was a crack on the DVD because I ended up <laughs> rewatching it so much. So wow. it, it is that kind of vibe of like fast pace. Like, Oh, you're, you're talking about this story now you're back over here. Uh, even though the actual strange story is pretty self-contained. So yeah, yeah, I yeah totally yeah. from an, from an editing perspective, I think right, I, right, I, right. I agree with you. I think the, the Michael Bay reference is just the idea that like Michael Bay knows he can show you yeah. five seconds of a yeah. person's life, the opening of the rock, you know, or something. Right. Right. Yeah. Like he show you five seconds of a person's life. And then like you instantly have a sense of what that person is, like mm-hmm, who that person mm-hmm. is. Um, and, uh, and I think this movie does that as well. So I, I, I but I agree that the Guy Ritchie comparison is very apt. So, yeah. uh, but can yeah. I, can I, can I say yeah. something, make do a tangent real quick. Uh, something that occurred to me in watching the, uh, the light and magic, the ILM documentary that maybe have been obvious to everybody. And it just didn't, I didn't really lock it into place. So I may, I may be the last person to make this observation, but you know, I, we have seen cinema, the, the pace of cuts increase over the last you know couple, few decades and to the point where you know i think movies today would be incomprehensible to somebody in the 70s mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways just be overwhelming the number of cuts and i always thought that was sort of uh, uh, you know a function of uh more familiarity with the medium and and people having a shorter attention spans and having more just more input and so we we kind of get things quicker we have a a, a visual uh, vocabulary that maybe people in the seventies and, and earlier did not. But I, for the first time watching the ILM documentary, I realized, Oh my God, it's also because the process of editing a movie makes that possible. Like it was just not people literally 
physically cutting celluloid mm-hmm. and chopping it together was laborious and mm-hmm. time consuming. And so you weren't going to have 400 cuts in two minutes right. because you just weren't going to do that. Yeah. And <laughs> now because you have it yeah. on a computer and it's all digital and it doesn't matter, and you can just you know try things and put, put things together very fast. I, it was the first time I went, oh my gosh, technology allowed that as much <laughs> as tastes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, folks. Well, I think there's a couple more things to talk about. Uh, so why don't we get to spoilers? But overall, it sounds like we had a fun time with Bullet Train. And uh, mm-hmm. I think the reviews have been really harsh on this movie in ways that I was not expecting. But I had a great time. Sounds like you guys did, too. Good man, let- You know, yeah. if, you, if you're bored. Yeah. I thought you were going to hate this movie, Dave. Yeah. Really no, I mean, honestly. I- well, what was also cool it. is my brother just moved to Seattle last week, um, and uh, we got to go to the screening oh, of Bullet wow. Train together, great, and it was like, it was awesome. It was like, hey, it's your next, it's your first day in Seattle. Want to come see Bullet Train? And it's just like, hey, I'm watching a movie with my brother. He liked it too. He had a great time at the. Uh, I, I think. Um, I, I honestly think that the trailers didn't do necessarily the greatest job of selling this movie. Mm. Uh, like, I feel like. Um, the trailers didn't sell it for how intricate and how fun and how good the action was, um, and how kind of like relentless the pace was. Um, so yeah, I I had a great time with the movie. I liked it. So, all right, folks, let's get to spoilers for, uh, bullet train starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... They're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. We can talk a little bit about some of the cameos in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, uh, the I want to issue a challenge. The... Have Sandra Bullock appear in a movie without her sounding like she was completely ADR'd to hell challenge. That's what I would like to do. <laughs> because uh, in both this movie and The Lost City, there's just it feels like, I don't know, maybe Sandra Bullock herself or the filmmakers were mm-hmm. like, oh, we got to workshop these lines and uh, tighten them up a little bit. And it just sounds like unnatural. Like basically it sounds yeah. unnatural. It sounds like they the, redubbed the her lines. The scene where like she walks up to Brad Pitt's character like at the end feels like, are you even on the same yeah. Are they set? even in the like, same, are you like, in the same plane of existence? Basically? Did, yeah. did, this movie feels like the quote pro for Lost City's quid. It felt like the, like Brad Pitt and Sandra yeah. Bullock. No, that's true. You're right. Yeah, it just yeah. felt like they, they, all, they made this. a deal. Like, okay, here's yeah. what you you be cheap in my movie, uh-huh. and I'll be cheap in your movie. You come and in we'll for both... a day here, and yeah. I'll come in for a day there. That they've talked about that. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's, I, I love that mm-hmm. they you know these two of the biggest stars in the world have like this working relationship. But also, I have to say, like, I didn't I didn't recognize Sandra Bullock at first. I was like, who who is that really? voice? But she has a very like pleasing voice. I'm like, what a, what a beautiful a voice, voice that person has. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. at the end, you find out it's Sandra Bullock. It's like, oh, of course, like oh, one man. of our I, biggest movies. I felt movie that stars. from the from the trailer too. Like she mm. she's a prominent voice in the trailer. So yeah, a, a, a lot of people were talking about the cameos in this movie. I didn't feel like Sandra Bullock was one, but okay, maybe her voice isn't as ingrained in uh, in mm-hmm. everybody else like it is mm-hmm. me. Ryan uh, Reynolds is the be- is the best cameo because yes. it is the definition of cameo. Yeah. It's literally <laughs> like also the the perfect amount of Ryan Reynolds I want in the <laughs> yeah. movie right now. It's like a, oh, a glimpse. You're not saying anything. Great. Yes. 
Uh-huh. Well, it, I wonder it's how much funny he got paid because to... I'm saying that that he Brad Pitt is basically playing the Ryan Reynolds role. So it's funny uh-huh. when Ryan Reynolds shows up in the movie for like three seconds, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because the whole idea is that he's filling in for Ryan Reynolds. Yes. It was supposed to be Ryan Reynolds doing the job and mm-hmm. he couldn't make it. So he got Brad Pitt, yeah. which is so brilliant. It's really I it's, also... it's pretty good. I knew I knew I loved this movie when Channing Tatum popped up. Like what you get yeah. the C Tates in there. We've talked about this before. That's really all I need. Like a little bit of Channing Tatum. Uh I in another universe he could have been like a bigger role in this movie too. And it feels weird to see him kind of ease back into things also from the Lost City, right? Yeah, you get part so, of that Lost City deal, I think. Yeah. It's like a three-way trade, you know. Yeah. Jumped in. Um, Amazing. I will say I it took me a long time to realize that was Michael Shannon as the bad guy. Like <laughs> oh, he has so a very awesome. distinctive face. And I was like, mm. oh. Who is that? Like I, I spent, I was racking my head until I saw the. Oh credits, really? So That's funny. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. knew, I knew instantly, but also I was like, the whole movie, you, you don't yeah, see the who guy's is, face. who's this guy? So yeah. you're What's like, up? oh, they have to be building up to something good. Uh huh. And I have to say, Michael Shannon was a great payoff. Like I was Michael very Shannon happy with as, that as a well. Russian gangster in Japan too. So he has like the the Orientalism going on as well. Like okay, it's kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, Jeff, any thoughts on Michael Shannon as the as the uh, oh, final big boss? He was great, and how he gets his face blown off at the end is so is so great. I mean, it's all so like I said. There's like layers and layers yeah. and layers of of satisfying payoff to everything that's played. You know, it's it's Chekhov's everything. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, every every single thing that is placed in that bullet train, even every notion, every relationship, to the point where. My only gripe was that, like, I had a hard time swallowing that the White Death <laughs> wanted all of this to happen, right, like, conspired right, right. to have all of this, knew that if he put everybody on the same train, they'd kill each other. That feels like a bit of a stretch. But by that point, like, the, the movie had done so many clever things to pay off stuff, to, to you know, I love how we have, you know, <laughs> these, these two partners, uh, Tangerine and Lemon, uh, and one of them dies and the other one gets to have the tearful farewell. <laughs> and then we literally have the opposite happen too. Uh, like it, yeah. it has its cake and eats it too. Yeah. Very Romeo so, and Juliet of this movie. That was yes, pretty awesome. Exactly. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> so great. But yeah, Brad Pitt needs to stop appearing in movies mm-hmm. where he is a hired assassin because inevitably what happens mm-hmm. is that the organization behind him and other assassins will send them to kill each other, which by yeah. the way is the exact same plot of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, it's true. So it's true. Uh, he's just—he's—he's he's not a good assassin in movies. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. He's—he's mm-hmm. he's destined for termination, killing um, them so. softly too. Like uh, they wouldn't pay him. He's Shades of that. It. Shades yeah. of that. In that, yeah. Go ahead. I also love that. I, I kind of could—I should have said this at the uh, you know the main review, but I love that the central idea of this movie is: what if an action movie? with a bunch of really lucky people. Mm. Yeah. Like, this could be and the long shot person. movie. Yeah. There's a, there's a Marvel mutant, uh, Marvel character in the X-Men universe called long shot. And I was like, this is how you do the long shot movie. They it's did literally... Deadpool too, which David Lynch oh, that's, did. That's true. Yeah. So, you're right. Yeah. Good point. Maybe that is the part of the overlap there. That but, was as he bets, uh, beats too. Right. So, and she's in yeah, this, I, yeah. I, but it was like uh, Joey King's character. The princess in this movie is like the lucky one. Right. And mm-hmm. she keeps like lucking into surviving her situations. Well, I think everybody is the lucky one. Like Brad Pitt is constantly talking about his luck. He feels like he's the bad luck person. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sandra Bullock is trying to convince him. No, you are very, very lucky. And he constantly is lucky mm-hmm, over the mm-hmm. course of this movie. So it's it's like these people fighting each other, but all of them have really good luck. 
I, I thought that was really a, a fun. I've never seen that before. I thought mm-hmm. that was a fun notion. You ever, uh, you ever see that movie Strange Luck on Fox? <laughs> what? This is uh, w- w- starring D.B. Sweeney. You guys remember no. that show? Do not remember this. There was Okay, so for a long time on Fox, if I recall correctly, The X-Files aired on Friday nights. Yes. Right? And this is before when people used to watch TV on, on uh, when it aired. And um, Fox kept trying to find a movie to like, or a show, I should say, that uh-huh, would go uh-huh. in the slot before X Files. That would mm-hmm. like, and they, they're like the Legends of Briscoe County Junior. and like, yeah. uh, Mantis, and like all these Eerie shows Indiana. that like they, they could never get into. And one of those shows was Strange Luck. And the idea behind the show was that DB Sweeney was this guy who had like this weird luck, where like no matter what happened, like everything would work out at the end, pretty much in some weird way. Anyway. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Well, Strange Luck, a show that aired for one when we season talk about and no one, no one watched. Luck is so. a superpower. I think of uh, Intacto, a movie I think mm. you, you've seen as well. And that's the uh, one Carlos Fresnadilla movie where luck is like a thing that you can get and can mm. be taken away. That's the movie where like people are like running full speed while blindfolded through a forest. And like that imagery always stuck with me. So, yeah, love luck. Love, love seeing it portrayed in different ways. Bullet Train is pretty fun, but do we think this movie is trying to say anything at all? Or is it just like a fun exercise? I, I mean, I yeah, think it, no. I think to the extent it's trying to say anything, it's like, don't be an asshole, basically. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, that's basically all the all of the, you know, uh, pseudoscience mumbo jumbo that Brad Pitt is is uh, professing throughout the movie. I think I think on a certain level, the movie kind of believes it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the movie mm-hmm. as a whole is saying, hey. We can be better. We can be nicer to each other. You, <laughs> yeah. know, you know, calm down, talk, use your words. You use know, your think, words. Yeah. I think the movie believes all that stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. If we all just got, like, if all these assassins just sat down and communicated with each other, they could yeah. have figured yeah. out they were all being paid by the same person. You know, right. they could have figured out the yeah, whole They could have figured it all talked. out. They could have figured it all out. None of them would be killing. said something. Yeah. Yes. None of them would be killing each other. So, mm. I mean, at I, the end of the day, yeah, go ahead. I want to, I, I want to pick out some of the, the choicest wonderful little payoff things mm-hmm. uh you know you have you have I, I loved the brad pitt gets bit by the the, the snake and he's like well, I, I already took the anti-venom so i should be <laughs> fine i guess you know which is again <laughs> luck so great i love the um the inflatable uh, anime yeah. character yeah. that is an assassin yeah. but then also saves him as some sort of like um <laughs> Some sort of airbag at the end, you know, he lands on the inflatable mm-hmm. character, just happens to land there. Uh, I mean, there's so many wonderful tie-in things of of stuff that gets gets set off and, and pay off, paid off in in unexpected ways. I had like four more that I was going to bring up, but now I can't <laughs> think of them. Um, I just I thought the I thought it was so smart and almost too smart. Like every everything works, you know, everything is is something else more uh i can't remember the other ones i was going to bring up but there's a, a ton of great ones i mean uh um, well, the thomas tank engine thing like, yeah yeah you get the diesel yeah. that's pretty with good the diesel that was pretty good you know yeah. with the sticker and everything yeah yeah uh <laughs> i'm blinking now but anyway i the, the movie is like just chock full of all that stuff um the uh uh, whatever i can't think of any more but we, it, we obviously I, chose a great episode to do as our first video <laughs> watching watching jeff try to think of the stuff that he didn't remember well yeah. may i recommend notes next time jeff um, nah. might be, uh... nah. this movie is moving too fast you can't write you can write no time you for can notes. write down the limericks but not the notes so yeah um yep. okay all right well uh, you know, I'll, take, I'll take what i can get 
I'll take what I can get. So, <laughs> all right, folks. Any other thoughts on on Bullet Train? Um, great time. Uh, a lot of great setups and payoffs. I think overall, I'd I'm glad it. to see David Lich like you know still kicking ass and doing things. Like I want the people who used to be the grunt guys, the stunt guys, like mm-hmm. to keep succeeding because they're delivering us the better action movies these days. Like John Wick is all that. Like so much of the stuff they're producing. I want a sequel to Atomic Blonde. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but you know, I'm glad he's still kicking ass. Yeah, and about- it's cool to see Hiro uh, Hiroyuki Sonata in, mm-hmm. in movies and like oh, he's so kicking ass yeah. and and uh, bringing his gravitas to what is a very silly movie in a very silly role. You yeah, know? He, but- yeah, doing you you know he has a sword hidden in his cane, and we were just waiting <laughs> to see it. Um, I yeah. wish Andrew Koji had more time to shine because he was basically he he is just in a thankless role in this movie. That, 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 that guy, is the big disappointment. Is like yeah. you only have a couple of uh, of Japanese characters in it. Andrew Koji is one of them, and he spends most of the movie basically mm-hmm. um you know not acting of his own agency yeah. right like and he's, he's a guy who can actually kick ass he's been start yeah. he's done just several seasons of warrior you know so it's a shame we didn't get to see him actually flex more it's so it's so weird you have andrew mm-hmm. koji in a movie and he's not in most of the action scenes that's just yeah. a bizarre decision to me yeah so yeah agreed we get to have like a, a little bit of uh weekend at bernie's in this movie mm-hmm. love know? it uh, yeah. Aaron Taylor Johnson uh, outside the train, and the only way back in is to headbutt the window to get himself in. Great stuff. <laughs> I mean, just uh, lots of little flourishes in this movie. the The fight scene uh, in the uh, in, in the like uh, the diner area where they have to stop because the the lady comes in and asks them if they need any help. Yeah. And they're just kind of waiting there. Mm-hmm. To, uh, so well, great. My favorite part we, of that is when is when he makes the other dude pay for the meal so or whatever good. the bottle. Yeah, so absolutely, good. absolutely. And it's we've great. seen that scene before in other movies, and yeah. that, that was something I accused the gray man of too. But it is. It's still fun. Like it was, I was like, oh, I haven't seen that in a while. It was nice to, you know, have that vibe again. So it was yeah. enough to keep me entertained, you know. Can we agree that this is the worst security on a bullet train ever, though? Like, Probably. Just felt large, like um, large swaths of time where no attendant of the bullet train is <laughs> ever. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's just Masioka. It's just hero from heroes, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And at yeah. some point, like, we don't even, it's not even clear when the White Death buys all the tickets and asks uh-huh. everyone to get off, but mm-hmm. at some point he does. I don't get that, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And all, you know, another thing at the end, the, the post credit scene with, uh, we find out it was, it was Lemon who, uh, who, who takes her out yeah. at the end with the truck and how he got there. It's just all great fun, you know? Indeed. Indeed. All right. Uh, I think that's going to wrap us up for our review of Bullet Train. And at the end of the day, it is really impressive that David Litch and the filmmakers behind Bullet Train made a movie. All right, folks, we'll wrap up the show as well here. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight as well as Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs bumper comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week, we'll be discussing Dan Trachtenberg's new movie, Prey, which is streaming right now on Hulu. It'll be a lot of fun to talk about that. Lots to talk about there. Um, and so until then, thank you so much for listening. We will see you very soon on the Filmcast. And also, I, I do want to just, uh, again, give another shout out that... Um, uh, there might be a little bit of a bonus uh, cool thing happening on the huh. uh, After Dark for some patrons next week. So um, be sure to uh, support the podcast over yeah. at patreon.com. <laughs> 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 well, 
fucked it up. I fucked it up. I fucked it up. Keep it keep this all in. Keep it all in. Leave it in. Leave it in. I messed up. I messed up the ending. Let's try it Beautiful. again. Beautiful. Leave okay. it in. You're gonna it's keep it in. So much better. Okay, Dave. I'll keep it in. This Leave is, it. It won't be in the video, but it'll be in the audio. Um, no, it should be in the video too. It's hilarious. <laughs> Come on, so, it's great. Uh, what was I saying? Oh yes, I do want to emphasize for patrons uh-huh. that there's gonna be something cool at the Patreon.com/slash film podcast. The predator himself, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something like it. So mm-hmm. uh, be sure to support us if you if you can. But of course. Um, no, no hard feelings if you can. You gotta, you gotta hit, the, hit the closing, hit the beat. <laughs> oh, I'm, do, I'm doing it already. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Until next week, see you later. Love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.